Hello and welcome to the Vivolution podcast. Since starting in late 2016, Vivolution has been creating inspiring events for the plant-powered generation. Each episode of this podcast will share with you stories and ideas told by plant-based thought leaders from the Vivolution stage. It is just weeks until Vivolution Festival 2018, the UK's leading plant-powered festival. Come and hear the likes of Bosch, The Happy Pair, Naturally Stephanie, Sustainably Vegan, King Cook Daily, and many other leaders of the plant-powered movement, sharing inspiring stories and ideas to change the world. Tickets are now limited, so secure your place today for Vivolution Festival 2018 by visiting www.vivolution.co forward slash festival hyphen 2018. Adrienne Herbert, known to her followers on Instagram as Adrienne LDN, is a global Adidas ambassador and co-founder of Get To Know, a community and resource for creative women worldwide. This talk was recorded at Vivolution Topics Health and Wellbeing 2018. Hi everyone, Bianca, um, my name is Adrienne Herbert, as I said, and yeah, thanks for having me. When Judy asked me to come and speak uh, at Vivolution, I said yes, because that's what I do. I say yes. I am an encourager, I'm a motivator. I encourage other people to say yes to opportunities, to life, and so I have to lead by example by saying yes. So I said yes before I really thought it through. And then I was like, okay, so if I'm honest, I feel like sometimes I'm like a secret vegan. So within the work that I do, um, I'm a runner, as you said, I'm a personal trainer, um, motivational speaker, and I'm the co-founder of a women's networking community, which is called Get To Know. And Get To Know essentially is a community that encourages women to skill, to, skill swap, network, peer-to-peer, -peer, find mentors, etc. But yeah, I guess within my role as a personal trainer and a runner, I just don't really talk that much about what I eat. And so when I first decided um, to, yeah, I guess, um, try a plant-based diet, um, yeah, I think it was just like a thing of I'll try it and see. So I tried it maybe for two weeks, maybe try it a bit longer. Two weeks became six weeks, six months. And I guess, yeah, I didn't want to kind of share it with the world in case I changed my mind. So I was, um, yeah, I did feel a little bit scared to be like, oh my gosh, it's a vegan thing. Now people will know I'm a real vegan. So yeah, I mean, it's been two years and I'm still seeing how it goes. So tonight I wanted to kind of share my experience with you guys, um, I guess, as to why I now do what I do, why I live my life the way that I do, and why I'm so passionate about sharing, I guess, that with other people. So taking it way back to um, 10 years ago, so 10 years ago, I was a dancer and I was actually performing in a musical in the West End in Tottenham Court Road at the Dominion Theatre called We Will Rock You. Anyone ever seen it? Yeah, oh, yeah, great response, yeah. So I was actually performing in a musical and I, um, uh, so I'd met my husband, should have started with that because that was the, the, the most um, important bit. I met my husband and we had, honestly, from our first date, I was that person. I was infatuated with him, I was obsessed with him. And for somebody who's not really a very romantic person, it was, yeah, obsession from day one. And I'm quite an impatient person. So within, how long? Within less than two years, we were married. Um, and then I'd say about five minutes after our honeymoon, I was pregnant. So as I said, impatient, <laughs> impatient. So yes, yeah, so I was performing in We Will Rock You and newly wed, newly pregnant. Life was good, like really good, you know? I was just like, this is great. Um, and we looked for somewhere, uh, we looked to move house as well. I was only 22 years old. So yeah, I was super young and we just moved house and like I said, life was great. 
Um, yay me. And then um, I, I was, after Christmas, just after Christmas actually, we'd had the scan so we could share the news with everybody. And I was 19 weeks pregnant. And so I was trying to kind of be like, milk it a bit. You know, you start to get a bump. You're like, oh, I'm tired. So I was trying to like milk it a bit and be like, oh, can you pick me up from the station tonight? So I'm really tired. I was still actually performing in the show. Um, in my Mohican rock costume, um, not, the audience not knowing that I was actually pregnant. So yeah, I basically rang my husband and said, can you pick me up from the station? I'm really tired. So he said, sure, babe, whatever. Picks me up. We drive home. Normal night. Nothing extraordinary to report. We went to bed. Um, and then about an hour later, uh, we were both asleep. So it was about 12.30. I um, basically woke up to a sound, which I had never heard before. And it essentially sounded like my husband was kind of screaming almost. So it was dark, and I thought maybe he's having a nightmare. So I reached out to try to wake him up and felt that his body was just completely rigid. His whole body was rigid, and it just felt like touching like a rock. So I got out of bed and turned on the light to see that he was having a seizure. And I'd never seen anyone have a seizure before. And as I said, I was 22, I was 19 weeks pregnant. This was so just shocking for me, and I was essentially just paralyzed in fear and I'd never, yeah, experienced anything like that before. So after like a few seconds of just being frozen, I think, to the spot and thinking, am I actually dreaming myself? I then reached my phone and I called an ambulance and they basically came about, I think it was actually about eight and a half minutes until they arrived, so super quick. Um, but he, at this stage, by this stage, had actually fallen out of bed and was fitting on the floor. And like I said, they, the uh, paramedics came, came in and took over from there. So we then went in an ambulance to our local hospital. Um, and on arrival, he actually started seizure again. So then, um, at this time as well, my husband was 29 years old. He was a picture of health, PE teacher. He just got a place in London Marathon and was training for the London Marathon, which unfortunately he didn't get to run. Um, but yeah, he was like a picture of health. So it didn't really make sense to anyone, to me, to the paramedics, to the doctors. And they all kind of, you know, they're asking you the questions that they ask, which is, has he had a head injury in the last 24 hours? No. Has he taken drugs? No. Has he had a head injury in the last year? No. Was he complaining of a headache? No. All the answers were no. I literally was just like, there's no reason. There's no cause. We don't know. So essentially, he then was um, transferred to a neurology ward in a separate hospital, which was about a 45-minute journey. Um, and I think at the time, I was probably still in shock, but I kind of remember getting into the ambulance in my pyjamas to go to the other place. And when they put the sirens on, you kind of think, hmm, this is not good, you know? So we arrived there 45 minutes later, and he was then there for two weeks. So in that two weeks, they did lots of tests um, to kind of try and figure out the cause. And I had to sign forms there. Obviously, I'm his wife now, so we'd only been married six months, but I then had to take legal responsibility to sign these forms to say, we need to put a die and a camera into your husband's brain. This could cause a stroke. Please, can you sign it to say you can't sue the hospital? So it was a lot to take on. Um, but essentially, after the two weeks, they found no cause, no reason, but they said that he was lucky. Essentially, he'd had a subarachnoid brain hemorrhage, which is a bleed, a burst blood vessel in the brain. There was no reason but they just kept telling us that he was lucky. He was lucky to be alive, he was lucky where it happened, he was lucky, he was lucky, he was lucky. And to be honest, I don't think he felt very lucky at the time, at all. But yeah, he was lucky to be alive. So we had the two weeks there and they said he could go home, which although you want that, I kind of was like, oh, but he's gonna come home. And then it's just me, you know, then it's just me to look after him. And I'm pregnant and this is kind of a lot. So yeah, we spent the next few months um, 
going to outpatient appointments and um, antenatal appointments. And yeah, essentially he had six months um, off work to come home to recover, which he did, thank God. Um, but yeah, so that, that was kind of a, it was a, a lot, as I said, in one year, at a young age, it was definitely a lot. Um, and then in the summer, our son was born and he was a joy and he's beautiful and he's wonderful. So that was amazing because we needed some joy in our lives at that time. So yeah, Jude was born. And then um, if I'm honest, I guess I was just like, just getting on with it, you know, like just getting, getting on with it. But essentially I was, yeah, a new mum having to learn about like this young person and their needs and what to do. And it's a lot and it's really overwhelming. And I felt just so anxious all the time. I was, I couldn't leave at the time. Um, I couldn't leave Jude at home and go out, um, you know, with friends or whatever, because at the time Rob was trialing different medications and they said, you know, you can't really be left alone to look after a baby, you know, in case he had a, a seizure. So, so yeah, that was difficult. And I think even when I did go out, like if I went to the supermarket, I would kind of be clock watching and I'd just be like anxious to get back. And then when I walked in the front door, I would feel relieved that I was home. So yeah, I guess that time I, yeah, I could see that I was just kind of going, yeah, just like, no, I wouldn't say I was going down, but I, looking back in hindsight, it was just difficult. And I felt like I needed something, some like relief, some kind of time for myself, even if it was just 15 minutes. But as I said, I didn't want to go out for like an hour or two to the gym or whatever, but I had previously been dancing and I was used to moving my body, used to sweating, used to feeling like active and energetic. And I've always loved sports. I've always been energetic. I was the girl at school who did every sports team and, you know, wanted to win every race. So yeah, I've always been active. So I thought I knew that moving would make me feel better. So I was like, okay, let me just go out for like 10 minutes run. Like that's literally, it. I didn't even own running shoes. I just had some old trainers. I was like, I'm just going to go for like a 10 minute jog. Nothing's going to happen in 10 minutes, right? It'll be fine. So off I went, 10 minute jog, came back. I'm not going to say that that run changed my life or that I then signed up for it. It didn't. But it was like the start, you know? It was the start that was like, okay, I've made a step today, I've made a choice, I've gone out for 10 minutes, and it felt so good. It felt so good to just be, I guess, on my own, to be with my own thoughts, just like it was actually a sunny day, which as we know is very rare. So I just felt good to run. So I started to look forward to that, and I started to do it more often. And that run became 20 minutes, and then it became 30 minutes. And then essentially I wanted to start working, and I've always worked, so I wanted to work. Um, but still, um, when Jude was eight months old, Rob had another seizure and three months later it happened again and again. And so essentially it was difficult. We had all these um, appointments with epilepsy nurses and they basically said that he now had epilepsy as a result of the bleed. So we had to learn what that was going to mean for our family. You can't, you have a driving license if you have epilepsy. You know, there's things that we had to get around. But essentially, I was like, I want to work. So I figured, I had a little brainstorming session with my sister. I was like, what can I do that I can work and like take Jude with me in the pushchair or whatever? So I um, started the course to become a personal trainer. And I had this idea that I could start like a local boot camp and mums could come with their babies and we could just work out in the sun and it'd be great. And we'd all feel better. Your mood would be lifted. We'd get those endorphins, serotonin. It's actual chemical reaction, guys, when you go for a run. It's not just that. You know, people say the run is high at the end. You're not just happy because the run is over. It's actually a chemical thing. So yeah, I wanted to share that with other women and I was like, let me do that. So that's what I did. Did my personal training course, started my boot camp for mums, started writing about it on a blog, you know, posting run selfies on Insta and just started, yeah, sharing, I guess, what I was doing. And I never, I guess now everyone start, well, everyone, but lots of people start with a personal brand or whatever. But I was, yeah, just running and posting sweaty selfies and kind of saying, you know, 
whatever you're doing, whatever, however you're feeling, like I definitely think if you just get out and go for a run for 10 minutes, it doesn't have to be far, it doesn't have to be fast, you don't have to be a marathon runner, you could just like run for 10 minutes and it's gonna make you feel good. So fast forward a lot of time, um, my son is now six, which kind of blows my mind. He keeps telling me, mummy, I'm nearly seven. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. But um, yeah, fast forward a lot of time, um, I'm using social media, my blog's growing, and I um, had a meeting with Adidas, and I signed with them as a global ambassador. And they said to me in the meeting, you know, um, would you like to do the London Marathon? This was in January. The London Marathon is in April. As I said, I say yes. Two opportunities, <laughs> yes. So I was like, yes, I'll do that. And then I went home and I told my husband, I'm running the London Marathon in 16 weeks, and I'm gonna raise money for charity. And he was just like, babe, what? He's like, you're a sprinter. You run for like half an hour because you like it and you run really fast. He was like, you, what? Why are you doing this? I was like, because it's going to be great. I'm going to run the marathon. I was like, I'm going to raise money for epilepsy. It's going to be amazing. And yeah, so I said yes. And I started training. And I think about six weeks into training, bearing in mind I only had 16 weeks, I started to feel bad. I was like, that mentally, physically, like I started to put this pressure, other people, I guess, as well, were putting this pressure on me because they're like, oh, it's Adrienne, you're so fit, you're an Adidas ambassador, you got a six pack. You and they were like, you know, yeah. <laughs> they were like, you're so fit, it's gonna be fine. And every time I went out for a run that was over like, I'd say like 90 minutes, I would start to feel fatigued, I'd start to feel tired. The voice in your head that's like, my foot hurts, I can't breathe, my legs ache, how are you ever gonna do a marathon? This is ridiculous. And I'd do like 10 miles and I'd come back to the house and be like, I'm exhausted and I've gotta do another 16. So yeah, the self-doubt started creeping in and I started to just really invest and be like, okay, I need to look at what I'm doing, I need to look at, find out more information about this whole marathon thing. So that's what I started doing. Um, and two of the things that I learned in that next few weeks were, one, I was recommended a book called The Thrive Diet, which is by Brendan Brazier, which essentially talks about a plant-based diet and how he um, actually became a world-class triathlete on this diet. And another thing was about sleep. And I, I listened to a podcast, I think it was by Runners Connect, it was called Sleep to Win. And it was this run coach that essentially talked about the fact that often people focus on their training, they focus on nutrition, and the missing element when he steps in is sleep. And when people adjust their sleep, they transform their results, their times, their, their recovery, everything. So I was like, right, that's it. I'm committed. I'm doing this. I'm going to sleep more. I'm going to eat plant-based. I'm going to go for it. So essentially, that is what I did last year. And as I said, I, or when was it? I can't remember. But I started it, and I kind of have stuck with it. And I'm still running. And I'm running another marathon this year. And this time, I don't feel that fear. This time, I feel excited. I'm going to be raising money again for Epilepsy Research UK. And yeah, I guess essentially what I have discovered, I think, in the last seven years with everything that's happened, this is obviously the very, very brief version, as otherwise I would have been talking for hours, um, is that essentially things happen in life. Some things you can control, some things you can't, as I learned the hard way. Um, I think a lot of what I now do, like it's inspired such a passion in me for life. I don't take things for granted. I don't take my health for granted or, the, or my friends and family. The fact that I can go out and run, that my body is strong, that it's healthy, that I'm free of illness, sickness, disease, that I don't have to take painkillers every day. Just to wake up every day without pain, I think at 22 years old or something, I probably took for granted. I just thought, well, everybody does. Um, but yeah, I guess the experience that my husband has had and living with that for seven years, I definitely know that is not the case for everybody. So yeah, I guess that's definitely changed my perspective. It changed both of our perspectives, actually, our whole family. And essentially, I thought, well, 
Okay, not everyone is going to go through a life-changing experience, and thank God, hopefully, people won't. But I think when people ask me, like, why are you so passionate about the things you do? Like, I literally, when I say to you that I'm an encourager, I tell everyone I meet, I'm like, you're brilliant at that. You know what you should do? You should start a business. You should start a blog. You should start a YouTube. You should do this. Because I'm just like, share it. Do it. Do all the things. Say yes to that job. Go on that holiday. Book that thing. Do it now. Don't do it next week. Don't do it next year when you've lost weight or when your kids are older or when you've got more money. There's always a reason to put things off. And I'm just like, do the thing. Do the thing now because we don't know what's around the corner. So essentially that's, yeah, one part of it. And I think the other part of it is that I guess, you know, as I said, they didn't find a cause. They didn't find a reason. And for a while that kind of like ate me up for ages because I was just like, they have to. You know, you go to doctors or medical professionals and this is nothing against them. They were brilliant. But you, you have a trust there and you want information. And so I was just like, I guess I just wanted answers which they couldn't give me. So I guess now we're living in a time when we all have so much access, right? We have abundance in opportunity, uh, information, education, the things that used to just be available. You'd have to go, I guess, to a library, get out the book, do the reading, do the research. Now it's like you have a phone, you have Google. What do you want to know? Just put it in and find out the answer. Then you can ask someone else. Reference. You know, I listen to so many podcasts and, um, you know, watch YouTube videos, and I learn and I learn and I learn. I take in all this information because now I think we have this short wonderful, crazy life once, and there's all these amazing people doing incredible things, and there's ordinary people doing incredible things. So now I kind of look at my life in a way of, I'm like, well, why not me? You know, if that person can do it, if that person can do it, whether it's starting a business, writing a book, running a marathon, why not me? So essentially, I think I've been, I've, it changed my mindset from a fixed mindset to this kind of like, open like, well, why not? Just try it. You never know what could happen. You never know what's going to happen anyway. So you should probably just give it a try. So I think the long-winded, how is all this related to being vegan and eating plant-based? I guess, as I said, I was kind of a secret vegan, didn't really tell people because I guess I'm already get, I already get eye rolls when I tell people I'm a blogger. So imagine saying I'm a blogger and I'm a vegan. Like, <laughs> come on, like such a cliche. So I was kind of like, I stay away from it, but I do get questions and people say, you know, well, what about this? And well, what about that? And I just say to them, look, I feel good. I tried it for two weeks. That's all I said I was going to try it for two weeks. I didn't say, I'm vegan forever. I just said I'll try it for two weeks. I think if people are willing to try things, if you're willing to change, to listen to other people's ideas, perspectives, you know, like I said, learn, then essentially, well, who knows what could happen? You know, who knows what we could all achieve? And so I do have one quote to kind of um, finish with, which is a Charles Darwin quote, which is kind of, you know, old school. But he essentially said that, and I'm going to read it so I don't get it wrong, it is not the strongest of the species that survives, nor the most intelligent that survives. It is the most adaptable to change. And change, that word, just stuck out to me because essentially I just feel like that's what we're living through now, a time of change a time where people want information, they want to ask questions, a time when people have a voice and they can be change makers themselves. Um, I'm sure lots of people in here are. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, when you learn something and you have this fixed mindset that this is the truth and that's that, you end that, you, you're no longer able to learn, you're no longer able to um, adapt and try new things. Um, and so essentially, you know, back in the day when everybody smoked, we smoked, well, not we, but people smoked in cars, airplanes, hospital beds. You could smoke in a hospital bed. That was the thing. So the truth then was that, you know, it was fine, no problem. But the truth is the truth until it's not, until it changes. So change, I think, is in 
we're living through a time of incredible change. And I think if we're open to adapting and open to changing, then yeah, we can all achieve wonderful things. Thank you. It's been a few months since we launched this podcast and, well, we want to hear from you, our listeners. Do you like the talk from our events format? Would you like to see more conversational pieces like roundtable discussions? If you have any suggestions, email damian at vvolution.co with your thoughts and ideas. As always, thanks for listening to this episode of the Vvolution podcast. If you enjoyed this talk, please leave us a favourable review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Until the next time, take care and we'll look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you.